wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is a show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. G'day friends, it's Will and Brenton here in the studio coming to you live from our Faith FM studio in Adelaide, South Australia. And so we want to welcome you wherever you are tuning in from in our region or across the country. We want to thank you for tuning in here on our live show. Today we have a brand new theme. Our theme for this week is the topic, Perverse People. Big questions about biblical characters. And this week we're going to take a dive into some of these characters, are, I guess, well-known in Scripture. And uh, as we're going to find out that they're not perfect. Isn't that right, Brendan? That's right. <laughs> it's a pity we've only got an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I think you and I could go the whole week on perverse people. That'd be an interesting one. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, uh, welcome to our yeah, program today. Nice, nice to be on again and feeling yeah. a lot better than I have the last couple of weeks. Uh, excellent. Mm. Excellent, Pastor Brennan. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be looking at this topic, perverse people, big questions about biblical characters. But today, uh, for our listeners today, uh, Brenton, our big question today is, we're looking at the particular Bible character, King David, we are. and our question that we're kind of wanting to unpack today, can a murderer and adulterer be called a man after God's heart? We are going to explore that in depth, and we're also going to draw a contrast, Will, between him and his predecessor, Saul. Right. Uh, that, I believe, will help to explain how David could be claimed to be a man after God's own heart, because in some respects, some of the things he did was worse than Saul, except his the way he ended up was totally different from the way yeah. that Saul ended up. Yep. I mean, when you read Psalm 32 and you read Psalm 51, which we will refer to, you realise that here is a man who is genuinely repentant. One of the problems in, <clears throat> in society today, I think, is so often you've seen it, I've seen it, you watch TV, you get some high-profile Film star, sports star, yeah. who's been unfaithful to his wife or something like that, and he's reading some prepared statement that's been prepared for yeah. him by the football club or the rugby club or whatever. I've disgraced myself, I've disgraced my club, I've disgraced my wife, etc., etc., etc. Look, he may be contrite. We can't read hearts. Yeah. But by the same token, it sounds so artificial, yeah. so contrived, um, when you compare it with what David went through with his adultery with Bathsheba in the aftermath, and we'll look at some of those things. Today. Awesome. Mm. Just to uh, give our listeners out there in Radio Land a bit of a preview of some of the, uh, I guess, characters that our team are going to be looking at uh, for the rest yeah, of the week. We're we looking at Samson. We're looking at Thomas. Um, towards the end of the week, our presenter is going to be looking at the Apostle Peter. And uh, tomorrow, uh, our presenter is going to be looking at King Solomon. And so, yeah, just some David's various... son. David's son. So we're going to be unpacking that, uh, our team, as we look at this particularly interesting uh, topic about perverse characters. And so, um, yeah, look, the word perverse comes across as a bit strong. Um, but certainly in this story <laughs> and uh, tomorrow's one, uh, I guess... There's certain connections there. Um, but I guess when I first, um, when we're thinking about this theme and when we receive the uh, kind of like the MO of what we're going to be presenting from our good friend, uh, Pastor Gary Hodgkin, you know, I often like to, to think about what that's going to entail. And when I heard the title, uh, Pastor Brennan, Perverse People, what Big did, Questions what About Billy. You, you know, what did you think? I, 
in some ways, yeah, my mind kind of started thinking of all these particular characters and these various stories. But, you know, I just quickly moved from the negative, if you will, in my head. And I was just thinking, this is the authenticity of the Bible. It is. Uh, the difference between the Bible and, say, an autobiography or a biography is often sometimes yep. you read about, um, not always, but sometimes you read about certain characters. I like biographies myself, but sometimes it makes them out to almost be a saint. Yeah, When exactly. uh, the media and um, other people who've known them describe them in rather different terms. Correct. The Bible describes everybody as warts and all. And the common theme right through the Bible is God's grace. And yeah. God's grace is certainly shown, shown to our uh, person that we're discussing today, David. Correct. And he recognizes God's grace. And Correct. I think perversity can be deliberate. It can also be unintentional at times. You've I don't know. It's not a commonly used term. Have you used the term? No, I can't say that I have. (laughs) I can't say that I've. I I must admit, I don't go around calling people perverse. (laughs) Um, Recalcitrant is a word that comes to mind, but half the people don't understand what recalcitrant means. So you got to be. I'm not sure if I know it too. (laughs) You got to be sure of your terminology that you're using. But I wonder sometimes whether being perverse. Look, we're born as sinners. We're born crooked. That in itself is perverse. Yeah. It means we're not going the right way. Yeah. So perversity means we're going the wrong way. Um, I, I think when you look at David's story that we're going to do, you realize the absolute depth of his horror as he realizes his sin against God yeah. and God's mercy in forgiving him. But he still had to face the consequences. Anyway, we'll get Correct. to that a bit later awesome. on. Well, Pastor Brennan, we want to um, just shift gears for our uh, as we like to do at the top of the hour, we always share some little um, article for our what we call our well watch. Yes, um, that's the one article. And so, I want to just go back to the amazingfacts.org website, and they have a, a AF blog archives. And I love this section. There's always always something relevant with what's they going on in our culture. Stuff on there. Yeah. So, as you probably know, and as our listeners know out there, that um, they're just on the weekend, um, you know, the world celebrated. Um, Halloween, and so there's an article here on the Amazing Facts AF blog, uh, posted by a Richard Young, and it was posted uh, a few days ago, October 24. Right. And the article is entitled "Celebrating Death: Halloween, Paganism, and the Bible." And look, I'm not going to read it word for word as no, I no. tend to do in in this segment, but I might read a few lines from kind of how he what he says right at the end. But just to give you a bit of an uh, um, an overview, uh, Brendan, for our listeners, he he talks about essentially his article here is talking about how a lot of holidays and and things within our culture um, are steeped in paganism. Yes, paganism. So he begins the article by talking about. October 31 to November 2, the um, Mexicans celebrate this, um, the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> I shouldn't have tried to pronounce that, but but he, he kind of talks about that and he says, you know, this goes back 3,000 years to the yes. Aztecs when they yes, leave offerings and things for, for the dead. For the dead. Then he, then, uh, Richard in the article, he, he goes to trick or treating and he, he kind of makes a case in the article that, hey, and he quotes Philippians 4 verse 8 here, uh, Pastor Brandon, you know, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, et cetera, that Christians 
should be um, thinking or meditating on these things that the Apostle Paul says. And so he's kind of making an argument here that, hey, should Christians really engage in, yes. you know, cultural yes. celebrations where yep. people are walking around with witches' hats and goblins and ghouls and all that type of paraphernalia? Yep. And so he's of kind of saying, saw last week, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so, look, the crux of the article is, and I'll get right to the bottom. Like he's making a case that Christian holidays. He's, he's talking about Christian uh, Easter. He's got a bit of here in the article about even the, when we celebrate birthdays, the act of giving gifts to one another was you know, almost like pagan in origin. Even with the, I didn't even realize who I read the article, Pastor Brandon is even when we have candles on the birthday cakes, there's a bit of a, a pagan um, idea behind it. Yeah. I, I think we have to be careful. Um, also to sort of balance this out a little sure. bit. Um, it's possible to see in a lot of things, I mean, the cross, the cross of Christ was around before Christ yeah. time. Um, the temple services that Christ instituted, you could actually find similarities in some respects, not, not the sacrificial system, but some respects you can actually find parallels with pagan temple practices. Yeah. It's not as though God was trying to incorporate paganism into what he asked the children of Israel to do. All yeah. I'm saying is that I think we have Gotta to be, be, careful. A bit, be a little bit careful. Um, I mean, I was brought up with candles. I never thought anything about it. Yeah. If you got to five years of age, you got five <laughs> candles. Yeah. And if you're yeah. a big boy, you blew them out. Yeah. <laughs> but let me, let me read this bit. And he kind of does make that kind of comment that a lot of things, he mentions even the days of the week and yes. birthdays that, you know, we don't really think about that. Um, you know, we're not really, he's, we're not really worried and, you know, understanding of it, but he kind of does say, Hey, some of these things kind of stem back to, you know, cultural, um, practices back, you know, centuries ago. They but do, let, let me read a few lines to you here, Pastor Brandon. I want to get a bit of your, what you think of it. He, he's got this last subheading here, the deeper issue. And I'll just read probably a few lines sure, here. Love your thoughts. Sure. He says, when it comes to holidays with pagan roots, the deeper issue for Christians should be the pagan view of the afterlife, the immortality of the soul. This view originated with the serpent when he said, you shall not surely die. Genesis 3 verse 4. Yet, despite the overwhelming evidence in Scripture that death is a dreamless sleep from which we awake at one of two resurrections, Daniel 12, John 5, um, in parentheses, many Christians still hold to a belief that was adopted by the medieval church from Greco-Roman culture when God said, you shall not surely die, Genesis 2.17, which began to happen when he separated us from the tree of life. It became evident that he alone has immortality, quoting 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. And then he's, this is his argument right at the bottom. This is why Christians should reject holidays like the Day of the Dead and Halloween. If the soul does not die but continues living apart from the body, the possibility of communicating with those souls, something the Bible strongly condemns, Leviticus 20 verse 6, it becomes an enticing deception. The Day of the Dead, according to its celebrants, is the only time of the year when they can visit their deceased relatives. Halloween takes a different approach with its sinister spirits haunting the living. Either way, Demons are given the opportunity to impersonate sure, departed sure. people. So he kind of almost brings a kind of like mentioning almost the the spiritual battle that Satan tries to do. And, you know, he's mentioning the immortality of the soul. He's talking about, you know, that last line, especially he says, demons are given the opportunity to impersonate departed people. 
So I think that's. I just wanted to bring it out there, Pastor Brandon. Again, is that is for right. for ninety nine percent of the people, mm. Halloween in our culture is almost it's trick and treat. Yeah, it's not really stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. more looked at as a just something fairly fun harmless do. sort of a thing yeah. that um, kids enjoy doing yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, look, I think. I agree with what he says about celebrating the, um, the holidays for the dead. Absolutely. One of the problems in Australian society now is is an absolute fascination with the afterlife. Uh, I think as Faith FM presenters yep. down through time now, I'm sure this subject of what happens to a person when they die has been covered by yeah. probably more than one speaker sure. at various times, so I, I don't propose to go over it today. What I would say, though, is that, folk, anyone listening who may have children, don't allow them to become involved in this type of stuff, and particularly I have young people from my former church who uh, attend a certain high school, and they have told me that their friends are into Ouija boards and, and that type of thing. Wow. This is setting yourself up for the entrance of demons. You may think it's harmless. You may think that um, it's not going to lead anywhere, but it often does. And the impersonation of the dead, I be- believe, is becoming more and more frequent. Yeah. And when you look at the films that are coming out of Hollywood that are dealing with the afterlife, uh, there's many of them. I remember uh, yeah. talking to Bob Wallace, who's head of Wallace Cinemas, 20 years ago when I was preparing a sermon one day, and I said, Bob, can you tell me, um, is there an interest in Hollywood with the afterlife, with reincarnation? He said, Brenton, he said, it is absolutely saturated with it. Now, that's 20 years ago. Has anything yeah. changed between, say, 2005 and 2023? The answer is no. If anything, it's grown. Yeah. And there is a real focus. You know, we hear people talking about rebirthing and in a former life, I was such and such, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Guys, don't go there. Yeah. The Bible speaks very specifically about it. And it says to stay away from all yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, Deuteronomy 18 is very, very specific, as you know. Yeah. People who tried to contact the dead were put to death. Yeah. At God's command, he said, don't get involved with these people. Correct. At all. And yet there's an absolute fascination with it these days. Yeah. And I think Halloween is just another way of Satan being able to bring in his deceptions. People may see them as harmless. But um, it's a bit like the frog who's being boiled in water. Yep, yep. Starts off very nice and warm. Yeah. Before you, you know, know the he's, story, he's, that's he's right. Boiled. <laughs> so I think the simplest answer is follow what the Lord has asked us yeah. to do. Be faithful to him. If he says you can't contact the dead because they're not contactable, accept that. Yeah. Just say, Lord, I'm looking forward to the day when you return, when I see my loved ones again resurrected in the kingdom of heaven. That's yeah. the day. That yeah, that's, that's the, where we want to stand. We always want to stand. Not, not going to some darkened room or some people's Correct. person's house and visiting with something that appears to be your dead relative but is an actual fact, an evil angel impersonating yeah. your dead yep. relative. Yeah. Well, thanks for your comments, Pastor Brenton. And, uh, yeah, we just wanted to bring that to our attention, to our listeners, that you know, it's a cultural f- uh, practice that definitely – 
was more stronger in the U.S. and it's making its way oh, here across absolutely. the ditch. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as Christians, you know, the Bible tells us that we are to be sober, be vigilant for our adversary. The devil walks about like a roaring lion, and we're told that in First Peter. So, so we we need to be careful what we uh, practice and what we celebrate to some extent. So we do. So um, I hope you enjoyed that article. Hey, we're going to go to a break, but before we do, we'd like What's to promote our offer? yeah our free book offer. Our brand new book offer for this week is the ti- the book title "Have You Ever Been Lost?" Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and I said yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it's uh, by uh, author is Chris Holland. He's a He's a speaker and director for It Is Written Canada, which is a Christian ministry. And so, have you ever been lost? Maybe you've faced a crossroad in life with no idea which way to go. Possibly you've taken a wrong turn and nothing looks familiar. It's inevitable. Your anxiety level increases dramatically when you know that you are lost. And so, hey, for you, our listeners here, what Chris does in this book, he he really um draws heavily from Luke 15, which is a beautiful chapter there where Jesus ex- tells a, paints a beautiful picture about God and his grace. And so, hey, this is valued at $6.95. So, um, oh, I reckon it'd be so great like, if you would like that. this for yourself or, I always like to say, if you want to get it to give to a friend of yours, um, even better. So if you'd like this free book, Have You Ever Been Lost by author Chris Holland? What you need to do is text the code SA143 to our number in the studio, 0488-80811, and we'll get your details and get that book out to you as soon as we can. So one more time, the book is Have You Ever Been Lost by author Chris Holland. You need to text the code SA143. You must get it. To, yeah, you must get it. Pastor Brandon's stamp of approval on it. You must get it. Yep. The number is 048-80811, and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. Please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, BQ&A.
with as the deer actually uh, I thought it was David Phelps <laughs> so you did you knew the artist oh, said, as soon as I heard the high notes I thought that's David that's Phelps. him one and only <laughs> hey thank you only. for tuning in today uh, to our lovely listeners out there uh, Faith of M Drive Time BQA. It's Will and Brendan in the studio here on a Monday, straight from South Australia. And uh, we're starting our brand new theme Perverse People, Big Questions About Biblical Characters. And today's big question, uh, Brendan and I are looking to unpack today King David, can a murderer and adulterer be called a man after God's heart? Hey, before we jump in, uh, Pastor Brendan, I just want to shout out Joe from Gladstone, yes. who's just texting for yes. the book offer. We want to thank you, Joe. And Thanks, um, uh, we know that you are a loyal listener for Faith FM, so we appreciate you tuning in all the way from Gladstone, Queensland, and we hope you're enjoying our show today. So, Brenton, we're going to start diving into our character for today, we are indeed. King David. Mm. So here's the question, can a murderer and adulterer be called a man after God's heart? The simple answer is, humanly speaking, no, um, divinely speaking, Yes. So okay, we're going, no, to, and yes. we're going to explore that. So it's, um, yeah. Let me start by giving a little bit of background. For those who are listening to Faith FM and perhaps don't have a great deal of um, knowledge of Bible genealogies, David's forebears were rather interesting. His father was Jesse, his grandfather was Obed, and Obed's father was Boaz and a woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth. Right. Is named in the Bible. So his great grandmother, who was a Moabitess and not an Israelite, um, was Ruth. Now, <laughs> David is known by various titles. He's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the sweet singer of Israel. He had a very interesting career. Uh, when he died, he was probably about 70 years of age, approximately. Uh, what Some of the other things about David that perhaps are not known is he reigned for seven years in Hebron when there was a split after Saul's yep. death between, um, shall we say, Judah and Benjamin and uh, the other ten tribes. And then for 33 years after Ishbosheth was murdered, he became the king of a combined Israel. When you think of ancient Israelite history, the golden era of ancient Israel was the reign of David and his son Solomon. That's considered the golden period. Now, what's interesting, I, I did check this out, Will, just as a matter of interest. David was a man of war, and that's the reason why God didn't allow him to build the temple. Yeah. He said, you've shed much blood. Your son Solomon will build the temple. As far as I can determine <clears throat> from the records of Scripture, David never lost a battle. Okay. He fought a lot of battles against his enemies round about, but as far as I can determine, he never lost a battle. He was an interesting man in other ways. He had eight wives. Did you get that, guys? Wow. Eight. 
eight right. wives. I'm not going to name them all, but if you do your, <laughs> your research, you'll find he had eight wives. He had at least 20 children or more. So when mm. you come to Solomon, which is tomorrow night's topic, yep. I mean, dear old Solomon, he had, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Oh. Um, David was almost, well, let's start with what the title was. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. Uh, Saul has just uh, been disobedient to God, and Samuel, who anointed him as the first king of Israel, says to him this: He says, um, "The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart." Yep. Now that suggests to me, you know how you read scriptures sometimes, and you think you know what it says. It says to me that God is looking for a man after His own heart. In chapter 17, God finds him. You remember he tells um, Samuel to go along with his anointing oil yep. uh, to Bethlehem, call a big feast, call Jesse in and his sons, and one of those is going to be the king. And as soon as the first guy comes in, uh, Samuel says to himself, wow, here's a guy, six foot five, Eliab, <laughs> tall, handsome. This must be him. This must be him. What's God's answer? Yep. Man looks on the outward Appearance. But God looks yep. on the heart. And eventually we get to David, who is described as ruddy, good-looking, and bright-eyed. Okay. They're, the, they're the definitions that are used of him. He's probably all of about 16 or 17 years of age. Wow. At this stage, he's a shepherd. Now, <clears throat> Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 13 and verse 22, in talking about David, says, and scriptures say, I have found a man after my own heart. So in First Samuel 13, verse 14, God is looking for a man after his own heart. When Paul is reflecting back after all these years, he refers in his sermon to the Jews who he's preaching to that I found a man after my own heart. So that's, that's the beginning. Now, most people who know anything about David know several things. He killed Goliath with a stone. We're not going to spend any time on that. He wrote Psalm 23. Yep. And the next thing that most people think of is, ah, David and Bathsheba. Yep. Murder, adultery, the whole, whole box of right. dice. And when you read First Samuel 11, you realize what a murky thing it actually yeah. was. When David took her and had sex with her and she became pregnant, he tries every trick yeah. in the book to get her husband to come home yep. and sleep with her. And her husband, who was a faithful one of his actual bodyguards, David's bodyguards, was out fighting. Yep. Uh, he said, no, 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 all the men are out there fighting. I'm not going to go home to my wife. I'll stay here and then I'll go back to the army. And then David does, I reckon, one of the most despicable acts in the whole of the Bible. He actually says to Joab, put... Uriah in the front of the battle and then yeah. withdraw from him so that he may die. Now, Joab was his nephew. Joab's the commander of the army and he's David's nephew. And Joab is probably, I don't know about you, Will, but if I was reading this, put Will in the front of the battle so that he may die and then withdraw yourself yeah. to him. I'd be going to myself, hello, what is going on here? Yeah. What is what is the agenda? Something's not right. He doesn't yeah. know anything more 
I mean, um, Joab doesn't know anything more. He's just saying to himself, hmm, okay. Normally David is really severe on us getting too close to the walls of a city that we're um, surrounding or besieging because we could, and he refers to the example of this guy who had a millstone dropped on him, yep. crushed his skull, and um, David is really hot on this issue. And then when poor old Uriah does get killed and they send a message back to David via a messenger saying, we surrounded the city and, um, oh, by the way, Uriah, your servant, is dead. David's response is, well, you know what? This is yeah. war. People get killed in war. That's the way it goes. The good die, the bad die. Yep. So, so is it. He's trying to cover all this up. <clears throat> After the period of mourning, Bathsheba becomes his wife. Yeah. But First Samuel eleven twenty three says, but the thing he did displeased the Lord. Yep. And in chapter 12, we have something interesting. Chapter 12, we have, um, well, let's have a look at it. It's in Second Samuel, and I'm just referring to it. And Nathan the prophet comes along to him, and he says this. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveller came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. We know the rest of the story, yeah. and he recites how God had given him the kingdom over Saul, how he'd given him his master's wives, how he had given him everything. And if that hadn't been enough, he would have given him even more. And he said, how could you do this thing and despise the Lord? Now, notice David's response over in uh, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, you and I know <clears throat> in the case of adultery, both parties were stoned to death. So yep. by rights, David and Bathsheba yep. should have died. Um, God here is forgiven his sin, but there are consequences. What did he say? The man who did this will restore fourfold. Now, that goes back to Exodus. If you read in the book of Exodus, if you did something, if I did something against you, I was to restore to you fourfold. What David didn't realize is that there's something prophetic in what he's saying here. He lost four sons. Wow. He lost the son that was born to him and Bathsheba as a result of their adultery. He lost um, Amnon, who raped his half-sister, Tamar. He lost Absalom, who was responsible for Amnon's death. And then after David's death, Adonijah proclaimed himself king. And when Solomon became king, he executed Adonijah. So the man who did this will restore fourfold. He lost four sons. Wow, okay. His moral authority in his family. Can you just imagine living in the royal household? 
son, don't do that. Dad, who are you to talk? Yeah. Look what you've been up to. All of Israel knows what you've been up to. <laughs> it reduces your moral authority. Yep. And I could almost see his family mocking him yeah. and saying, don't talk to us about morality and things like that. But the, the interesting thing is you've got two Psalms that some of our listeners would know. And for those who may be new to the Bible, can I recommend that you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, but read it in the order of Psalm 51 and then Psalm 32. In Psalm 51, you you remember he says against you, you only have I sinned, yep. verse 4 I think I'm quoting from, and done evil in your sight. David recognized that all sin was against God ultimately. But if you stop and think about it, who had he sinned against? Uriah? It had him killed? God actually says to him, you killed Uriah, even if you... Even if you'd done it with your own sword, it's no worse than what you did. You put him in the front of the battle knowing he was going to be killed, and then um, the troops withdrew from him. You've sinned against Bathsheba. You've sinned against your family. You've sinned against Israel because they're going to find out eventually. They may not have had social media back in those days. I can imagine if this came up on social media back in those days, I wonder how many likes and dislikes you get. You get a lot of dislikes, a lot of thumbs down. Yeah. so here, here we have this man, but in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within yeah. me. Yep. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Here is a man who was willing to face up to the fact guilty is charged. I've done the crime. I'm doing the time. Yeah. Because God said to him, from now on, the sword will never Depart from your household. Not only was his moral authority ruined, but also um, his family gave him trouble for the rest of his life. I mean, as he's laying on his deathbed, Adonijah is trying to proclaim himself king. That's um, Absalom's younger brother. And um, so he calls Bathsheba in and says, quick, come in. Now, I have said all along that Solomon is going to be the next king. So let's anoint Solomon as king. So you've got two kings out there, both proclaiming themselves king. So he had these issues right through his life. But in Psalm 32, Psalm 51 was seeking God's forgiveness. But Psalm 32 is is different. And I'm going to read just a fraction of it, Will. Sure. Um, we haven't got time to read the whole thing, but whenever I read Psalm 32... It was, it's a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It was a favourite of one of the queens of England. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, one that was executed, I think, but... Might have been Queen Mary, I'm not sure. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There are four different definitions of sin in those couple of verses. Um, I haven't got time to go through the definitions. People think of sin. um, When you ask a person, what is sin? They'll give you First John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. Well, it's a lot deeper than that. Yep. Uh, you have deliberate rebellion. You have deceit. Uh, you have crookedness. Arwan, I think, is the Hebrew word for it. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the, all the day long. By night and before day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But then we come to verse 5. 
he's describing the condition of a person who has a guilty conscience and doesn't know how to alleviate it, has to live with it, has to present a front to his people because he's the king. Um, I don't think he had a public relations manager or a spin merchant in those days. But verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave mm. the iniquity of my sin. Then comes that word you and I know, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. No one seems to be able to tell me exactly what Selah means, whether it means amen or whether it means something else. I don't know. So here is one example. I'm going to look at another one a little bit later of, of David. Truly penitent, the sins that he had committed were deserving of death. Murder, that was deserving of execution, even though he was the king. Adultery, that was, yep, that was also um, a sin for which the punishment was stoning to death, and yet God has forgiven his sins. He still has to live with the consequences. He accepts that. Guilty is charged, Lord. (laughs) I'm genuinely contrite. You can't read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 without saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew suggests that at one stage he had a right spirit within him. Correct. But somewhere it's gone off the track. But, Lord, bring it back, please. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Correct. Uh, These are the pleasings not of a person who's making excuses, who has a spin merchant or um, some special text that I'm reading out. You know, uh, I've uh, disgraced my wife. I've been unfaithful to her. Da dee da dee da dee da. When I when I read that stuff, I go, "Come on, guys." (laughs) Yeah. How much of this is true, and some of it may be. Sure. Once again, we can't um, (laughs) we can't judge people, but by the same token, it gives you the impression it's so artificial. It's done because it's the name of the club or league or um, yeah. whatever sport it is that's being brought into disrepute by this. Correct. Rather than you personally, you're, you're just personifying what this is all about. So here's David. Um, he says, Lord, I can't do anything other than say I'm guilty as charged, but please forgive me. But Psalm 32, I believe, was written at the same time. But after asking for forgiveness in Psalm 32, I confess my sins to the Lord and you forgave my sins. In other words, the burden that's been on me, yeah. the sleepless nights, the vitality being drained, all of that is gone. Yeah. Lord, I'm free. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> And I, I think what I'm hearing, and we're going to go to break in a couple of minutes, sure, Pastor Brennan. Sure. So it sounds like, yes, he did some heinous and perverse, I guess, acts of sin, you know, adultery, you know, had an innocent man, um, you know, gay, you know, he was, died. He was innocent. All be, all, all in the attempt to cover up his sin, essentially. So I guess on one hand, we see the, um, we see the depth of how far he fell in terms of his sin and covering up his tracks, so to speak. But what, what I'm hearing you saying is, Pastor Brandon, is about when he was found out, you know, the story of Nathan the prophet pointing out his sin, he had a heart that was 
repentant. He wanted to, he fully acknowledged his sin before God. He, he realized that it wasn't just to Uriah that he had committed this heinous sin. He was doing it, bef- yeah, or Bathsheba. Mm. He was actually sinning against his, his God. Yes. And it comes through so beautifully in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Oh, they're wonderful Psalms. So does Psalms. that, so on the one hand, that was, he did perverse acts or actions and, you know, he did things that obviously he later regretted. But it seemed like he was forgiven. He was forgiven, and I find this interesting because uh, the the simple action of going up to the rooftop and watching this woman bathe and then saying, bring her to me, suggests to me that a lot of this was premeditated. Yeah. Um, David at the time, most people don't realise that First Samuel 11 is written at the zenith of his reign as king. He's destroyed all his enemies round about him. Yep. The last remnant are being dealt with at the moment. That's Joab out surrounding the Ammonites to finish them off. Right. And this is the last battle where all his enemies will be finally subdued. He should have been out there leading the army. Yeah. Instead yep. of that, he's home in his palace. Yeah. He's walking on the roof at night and he sees this woman and says, well, bring her. Yep. And uh, it's all downhill from there. From there on, it's premeditated. So I ask myself the question, can God give premeditated things? The obvious answer is yes, because he was genuinely repentant. A lot of what we do, Will, is, look, you've heard it. You've heard of sins of omission, sins of commission. I've often said to myself, what are they? Sins, to me, fall into two categories. They're deliberate or they're unintentional, but we realize afterwards, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yep. Can God forgive both types? Can he only forgive one type? I believe he can forgive yeah. both types, and David's a perfect example of it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, Pastor Brennan, we're going to have to pause there. We're going to go to a break and we'll be back, yes, back in sure. as you wrap up our topic today, dealing with King David. Hey, uh, before we go to our break, we'd just like to promote our free book offer one more time. Our book offer is entitled, Have You Ever Been Lost?, and that is by author Chris Holland. Chris Holland is a uh, speaker. He's a director of it, is written. of it Is Written in Canada. And uh, I am guaranteed that you will enjoy this resource. It's retail at $6.95, but we want to give it to you absolutely free if you want it for yourself or even better, if you want to use it to give as a gift to a friend of yours. If you'd like this free copy, all you need to do is text the code uh, SA143, SA143. To our number in the studio, 04888 Once again, 04888 And we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A.
guys, James David Carter. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A. Our theme, it's Will and Brenton in the studio, by the way. If you're just tuning in, we're on the tail end of our show today. Our theme for the week is Perverse People, Big Questions About Biblical Characters, and our question for today, King David, can a murderer and adulterer be called a man after God's heart? And Pastor Brandon, you've been doing a fantastic job. Um, walking us through David's story leading up to it's his a repentance. Story, this one. <laughs> so why don't you, um, yeah, keep going, Pastor Brendan. I know you want to draw another connection I between uh, King David and, yeah. uh, and Saul, I believe. Yes, we will. We'll start by having a look at Saul. Saul was David's predecessor, as I think everybody knows. In 1 Samuel 15, he was told very, very clearly, and I'm going to read it for you, just briefly, then we're going to summarise by looking at another example in David's life to show the difference between um, Saul's so-called repentance and David's. In chapter 15, we find that <clears throat> Samuel said to Saul this, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And he goes on to say, I want you to go out and wipe out the Amalekites, everything. Yep. <clears throat> Without going through the whole story, most people know that Saul partially fulfilled that. He kept the king. Why would you keep the king? You would keep the king as a trophy. So you could parade him before right. all the people and then maybe a public execution. Uh, he kept the best of the sheep, the cattle, and the animals on the excuse that, you know what? The people kept those. I couldn't really do anything to stop them. Yeah. They kept those, but they kept them for good purpose. They kept them to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, notice what Samuel says to him a little bit further on. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly besought. Uh, destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak on. Now, what God said to him is, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, and I'm going to replace him with someone who is obedient to him. Now, <clears throat> Saul is giving excuses, and even down here <laughs> in verse 20, after he said, the Lord, um, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? He was asked to eradicate everything, to take nothing. Notice his response in verse 20. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, etc., etc., etc. Then uh, Samuel says to him, Has the Lord so great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Right. And then down in verse 24, he says, Oh, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. This is no confession at all. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel says to him, no way, I'm not going back to worship the Lord with you. And he's saying, uh, oh, it's 
Almost too sad to read. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from you today and has given it to a neighbour of yours. Also the strength of Israel will not lie, for he is not a man that he should lie. Verse 30, Then he said, This is Saul, I have sinned, yet honour me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and to return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Can you see the difference, listeners? Between David's confession and Saul's, Saul's is a part confession. It's based on the fact that Samuel has just told him, the Lord talked to me last night. Do you want to know what the Lord said? What did the Lord say? The Lord said that he he is sorry that he ever made you king of Israel and he's going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to someone better than you. And he's going, oh, hmm, yeah, yeah, I have done the wrong thing. I acknowledge that. I sinned against you. You told me to go and destroy the Amalekites, and I didn't do it totally, and I've sinned against God. But nevertheless, let's go and worship the Lord. You must honor me before the elders and yeah. before the people of Israel. What's it about? It's about me. It's about me. It's all about my image <laughs> before yeah. the people. David's willing to accept it. David's confession <clears throat> was written down. The people of Israel would have read it. No excuses. So there's a difference. But moving on, we go over to First Chronicles to finish our study for today, guys. Now, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, God had said back in the book of Deuteronomy, I think it's about chapter 17, that Israel was not to be numbered. Because when it talks about numbering Israel, it's not like the census that you and I go through and every other Australian goes through to find out how many people live in Australia in 2023. The census was taken to determine the fighting men of Israel, how many of them were were there. And so <clears throat> here we find that David is directly disobeying God on this matter. And so he says to Joab, go and number the people of Israel. Now, Joab was a ratbag. Joab was, had killed two previous military commanders that David had appointed. Um, he dealt treacherously with both of them and slew them. But even he recognizes this and he says, um, Joab answered and said, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the king. Are they not all my Lord's servants? Why why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should there be a cause of guilt in Israel? Even Joab, ratbag that he was, understood yeah. that this was against what God had asked him to do. But David, being the king, prevails. And he says, go and number them like I told you to do. So he does go and number them. And somewhere along the way, depending on which version of the Bible you read, it says, and God was displeased with this thing in verse 7. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. He recognizes this. Now, the difference between him and Saul is fairly apparent here. At this stage, he says, Lord, I've done the wrong thing. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have numbered Israel. I've sinned against you, and I pray that you'll forgive my sin. But God sends um, the prophet, not Nathan on this occasion, I think it was another guy, Gad, back to him and says, you've got a choice of three punishments. Three years of famine, uh, three days to fall into the hands of your enemies. Uh, What was the third one? 
and the third one was to fall into the hands of the living God. And um, no, sorry, three years of famine, three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword, or um, overtaking you or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Notice David's response in verse 12. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. However, there was a plague. As you know, 70,000 Israelites lost their lives. God sent the plague. The destroying angel came down with the sword drawn. And David sees that, and he God repents and says to the angel, stop. That's enough. The key point, I think, here that we need to remember in our broadcast today is this. <clears throat> he wasn't willing to fall into the hand of man. He recognised he'd done the wrong thing. He recognised that any one of the three punishments was very, very severe. So he said, I'm not going to make a choice. Uh, I, I just want to fall into the hands of the Lord because yeah. I know that the Lord is merciful. I know yeah. the Lord is gracious. That's why he can be called a man after God's own heart, I believe. And, of course, he offers sacrifices at the threshing floor of Ornan, and uh, the plague is stayed. But uh, right at the end of his life, um, it's interesting that when Solomon, is um, his son, sees God in a dream, God says, give me anything you want, or ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. He says that you have been gracious to my father David, who has been faithful to you with all his heart. Now, Solomon was around. He would have recognized David's indiscretions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the family filled him in. If he was too young when all of this happened, I'm sure the family filled him in on what had gone on. He would have seen the dysfunction in David's family, but he still recognized that David, despite all his faults, despite being a murderer, an adulterer, um, counting Israel when he shouldn't have done it, yeah. Despite all of that, God still loved him. And the reason God was able to call him a man after his own heart is that he repented thoroughly. Yeah. The repentance included confessing specifically, and repentance does include sp- being specific in what you're repenting of, and uh, the recognition that there are going to be consequences, and I'm willing to accept those, even though that's not going to work out well for me. I have repented. God is able to forgive a person. And my call to our listeners today is you don't get the impression that you've done something too bad for God to forgive. Yeah. If God could call David a man after his own heart, what does he require of us to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? I believe he requires us to have exactly the same attitude as what David had in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Yeah. Hey, we're going to have to uh, pause it there for today, uh, Pastor Brandon. Thank you so much for sharing with our listeners today. And I've also learned something here as well in the studio. And uh, we appreciate your time, Pastor Brandon. My uh, pleasure. Our mm-hmm. time is up for today. So for you, our, our loyal listeners, for being with us right today, and I want to thank you again, wherever you're tuning in from uh, across the country, in a state, we want to thank you for tuning in. Please join our host tomorrow. Pastor Ricardo and Pastor Gary, as they look at the question, King Solomon, does his example justify polygamy?
that's a going to be a very interesting topic that oh, Gary and Ricardo will be looking at tomorrow. So we hope that you'll be able to tune in then. And obviously, as we do on Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A, there'll be a book offer tomorrow and for the rest of the week. So we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Until then, we leave you with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we claim John 14 in verse 27. And he says to you and to me and says to us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May God richly bless you, and we hope to see you next time.